0: have for our missions month this month. It's actually one of my daughter's favorite songs that we talked about when she visited Haiti with uh, her grandmother and a very special memory for each of us. So thank you very much, Jeanette, Chris, uh, for for leading us in that song. And it's also a joy this morning to uh, have RJ with us on her fall break. I didn't mention that as part of the prayer time, but anytime I see her smile here, it's just a joy to have that family together. So if you see her this morning, welcome her home for this break. Well, once again, uh, David has said it, but let me welcome you here this morning, and I hope that you're enjoying the cooler weather. Who would have guessed last weekend we'd be close to 70, and this week we'd be in the 30s? Uh, I find that the cold weather, uh, it invites many of us to rest, relax, uh, even to recuperate a little bit in our life. And and I think this is an exciting time of the year for us as a church, because this is a time when people are, or should be, settled in from all the activities that took place in the summer, and we're already starting to turn our hearts towards Thanksgiving and Christmas and uh, trips as a family. Schools have reengaged, they've gone through their first rounds of testing, and from October to December, I feel a lot of people, they get interested about faith, and they discover Jesus in those months. And so that's always exciting to me. And what I want to do today is I want to launch a new series. Uh, this is a request of the eldership and of the missions team. We're going to call this, People Need the Lord, and we've broken it down into three steps, pray, give, and go And basically what we're doing is we're addressing the question, what would our world look like if we unleash the power of prayer, compassion and community upon it? How would our lives change? if we spent our time not worrying about all the troubles at work and in the world, and rather we focused upon the calling of the one who gives us hope and healing and freedom. Jesus himself declared of his church in Mark, uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He mobilized his disciples toward building that, that church when he taught them to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And so today I feel this is really important. Because we're beginning with the topic of prayer. And I find with all the distractions that, that people have in their life these days, prayer is that one thing that, that re-engages our soul with God and with His work. It, it reignites almost our passion in Him. It realigns us. It puts us in a new spiritual posture to keep the main thing, the main thing. And starting in November, we're going to begin... And I want to kind of give you a heads up on this. We're going to begin 21 days of prayer for one another. We're going to be praying for our homes. We're going to be praying for our nation, praying for this church. And I want to encourage you, not only to join me, but I want to encourage you to engage fully in these 21 days of prayer. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be using social media. And if you follow on Instagram or Facebook, or Twitter, Uh, and if you don't, we're going to make a way for you to do this as well, but I'm going to have like a three-minute daily devotion that we're going to post on there, and I'm going to challenge you to be a part of this, and I'll guide you through all this, and and I'm praying that this will be a great experience for all of us, because I feel as a church, we just need to pray, pray, pray. And so today, uh, I want to begin this People Need the Lord series by unpacking How prayer ignites the soul and unleashes the power of God in our lives. And we're going to unpack a passage in the book of James in the New Testament. And so I'm going to ask that you turn to James chapter 5. Excuse me, in the scriptures. And when it comes to the the topic of prayer, I think there's a question that many of us have wondered about. And it's one that maybe we've been afraid to verbalize. And the question is very simply... Why pray? I mean, if God already knows everything anyway, why why would I ever say, God, this is a prayer request. Uh, God, this is a spiritual need or a physical need. Uh, Can you change the mind of God? And is he truly listening? In a church where Tony Campolo once served, there was a man whose son died of leukemia. And the man stopped coming to church, and so Tony went to visit him and he encouraged him to not stop believing in God because of that happening. And the man responded, oh, I still believe in God. He said, the reason I gave up on church is not because I don't believe in God, it's because I hate God. He could have cured my boy, I begged him to do that, and God stood by and did nothing. So I believe in him, but I hate him. Now as harsh as that sounds, I know a lot of people that have expressed that same thought. I think a lot of us, when it comes to prayer, we feel like God has hearing problems. Maybe, maybe we feel like our prayers are somewhere between here and there, kind of like an email that gets sent out, and it's just lost in the ether, or a text that someone sends that, that we never get, and we wonder, do my prayers really get heard? Why pray? Well, to help answer this question, In James chapter 5, James begins in verse 13 by saying this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Well, why pray? For one thing, we pray because, folks, we're in trouble. The psalmist said this in Psalm 9-9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He is a stronghold in the times of trouble. When I think of missions... And when I think of Christians around the world, when I think of us, you know, I think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1.8. When he said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And he goes on to talk about how he coveted the prayers of the church through all those difficult times you see the heart of missions and partnering in missions is the fact that we need to be in prayer for those involved in the field of missions and as a good soldier of christ he invited the roman believers saying this i urge you brothers and sisters by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to god for me anybody here this morning in trouble you ever have relationship trouble maybe marriage trouble trouble with your health trouble with your kids trouble with the in-laws okay Uh, you ever have financial trouble emotional trouble whatever kind of troubles do you ever have trouble in your life well of course you do And I think one of the reasons is the Gallup poll did a study that said nine out of ten Americans claim that they pray. Now, I think that's a little high, but four out of five say they pray daily. And if that's true, then I look for the effect of that. If they truly are praying, where's the effect? And if we can just be honest, trouble is the number one reason that most of us pray. In fact, the word prayer, it comes from the Latin word precarius, from which we get the word precarious and predicament. So when life is on the edge, when life gets precarious, we pray. When we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, we pray. We pray for answers on the test that we're taking at school. We pray when a routine physical exam with the doctor turns out to be our worst medical nightmare. We pray when after trying and trying and trying, we finally become pregnant, but then there's a miscarriage. We pray when the adoption, the promotion, or the deal falls through at the last minute. When we take a, a, a flight, we pray when that plane hits unexpected turbulence. You ever done that? You're in the plane, and it kind of drops 10 feet all at once, and your stomach's up here, but your behind is in the seat down here. You know, Or it pitches left and right, and if you look around the plane, suddenly, even if it's a plane full of atheists, they're doing this bit. Their head's down, and they're starting to pray. There's no atheist at that moment. Even they are saying the name of Jesus out loud. I remember one Thursday evening. I was working at the church office, and Cheryl uh, was between work and home. Uh, She'd gotten home, and even though I was in deep study, the phone rang, and I could see from the caller ID that it was her. So I picked it up, and I said, hey, kiddo, what's up? And I could tell right away from the panic in her voice uh, that I had never heard before. Uh, She said, it's me. I'm in the garage, and my stomach, uh, there's something wrong. I said, what's going on? She goes, it's just my chest, my stomach, it hurts. And I'm telling you, I ran out of my office so fast. I mean, there were notes flying everywhere. I went down 15 steps in two bounds, opened the car door, got in, put the key in the ignition, slammed the door and slammed on the gas in one solid move, okay? And I sped home and we got in the car and we went as fast as we could then to Riverside Hospital in Noblesville, Indiana. And we didn't know. Is it a gallbladder? Is it appendicitis? Or what? But the whole time, I was just praying, God help. God God help her. And although we never did figure out what happened that day, um, they gave her kind of a cocktail of medications, and after a few hours, uh, she was good enough to go home. But in the midst of it all, the, the only thing I could do And and as a spouse, or if you have children that have been ill, you know how helpless you feel sometimes when prayer is all you can do. And what James is saying is, friends, when you're in trouble, your Heavenly Father, He wants you to pray. I mean, when my girls are hurting or they're in trouble, I want them to come to me, right? I take pleasure. I I take great love in responding to them. Now, it may not be in the way they want me to respond to them. But I will respond in the way that I think is best for them. And so you and I, we need at times, as we come to God, don't, don't say there's no use in asking. God's going to do what God wants to do anyway. He's already got his mind made up. No, he wants to hear from you. Sometimes we get this picture of God as though he's, he's inflexible, that God isn't caring that he's stubborn and set in his ways like an old man who's just set. And he's stopped up his ears and he's heard our request so many times that he's grown weary of listening to us anymore. But friends, I want you to know there's this incredible picture of God in Revelation, the 8th chapter. It's this glorious scene of heaven, and there's lightning and thunder rumbling through heaven, and the angels and the saints are gathered around the throne of God, and they're shouting praises back and forth, and suddenly all of heaven grows silent. You know why? It's because the prayers of the saints are rising to God before the throne. It all grows silent because of your prayers. And my prayers to our Heavenly Father, that is so cool. All of heaven stops when we pray. And God listens. And he acts upon our prayers. Is any one of you in trouble, James says? Let them pray. Secondly, why do we pray? Well, we pray because we're grateful. Back to James 5.13. The latter half of that verse says, Is anyone happy? Well, let them sing songs of praise. One of the perils of being a preacher is wearing uh, this cordless microphone. There are times that I forget this is on, and and there was one day I was just sitting down in the third row during the worship service, uh, and, and I was singing during the worship time. Let me clarify for you. I was actually making a joyful noise to the Lord during worship time. And the usual guys weren't working back in the sound booth. So this would never happen with Roger, to be honest. Uh, but I didn't know that the, the microphone had been left on. And sometimes I like to sing the harmony to songs, or what I think is close to it. Sometimes I like to sing the melody. Sometimes, you know, I like to do a mashup. And and so that day we were singing, How Great Thou Art, Then Sings My Soul. And then I, I'd heard this um, Oh, uh, what was the group's name, Anthem Lights. They'd done this mashup with It Is Well With My Soul. And so I started singing It Is Well With My Soul kind of underneath the, the, the lines of How Great Thou Art. And I didn't realize as David was up here leading worship, you were looking at him, but you were listening to me sing a completely different song. So anytime you want to blame uh, the music messing up, just, just blame me for it, okay? But, but I have to tell you, I wasn't embarrassed, When people heard me singing out loud. Because I want you to know you've got a preacher that is grateful. I am so thankful for God and what he's doing in my life. I am so thankful that he gave his one and only son for me. I am so thankful thankful that he made me thankful that he continues to to guide me day by day I am so thankful he gave me his beautiful scripture to live in and to teach I am so thankful that God gave me a wife and daughters and and a family I am so thankful for the promise of, of heaven and I love to sing and praise God for those things Paul said in Philippians 1.4, in all my prayers for all of you, he said, I always pray with joy. When's the last time you prayed with great joy? I am so grateful, and I don't want to grow up to be a bitter, grumbling, old, great, ungrateful man someday. I want to live with gratitude before the Lord, and I want to be the psalmist that sings to the Lord a new song. Amen? Don't you want that for your life? What are you thankful to God for? Social critic Robert Hughes wrote a very uh, instrumental critique of American society a few years ago. And he gave his book, a, what I think is an interesting title. It was called The Culture of Complaint. He said, we live in a society where we feel entitled to all sorts of things. And when those desires don't get met that we think we're entitled to, we think we're victims. And so he writes, we are a culture of complaint, and we can start griping, we can start complaining, and we can start grumbling uh, so fast, he said. And we always clarify, I am so thankful, but, it's a pretty good job, but, well, they're pretty nice kids most of the time, but, he's a pretty good husband, but, or, or you know, it's a pretty good church, but, And friends, that kind of ingratitude, that kind of complaining, it makes our hearts grow smaller and harder and colder day after day until that can lower the temperature in your home. It can lower the temperature in the workplace. It can lower the temperature in this place. And if we fail to pray for those that are serving the Lord here and around the world, it can lower the temperature. In their ministries. You see, ingratitude leads to a culture of discontent and judgmentalism and unsatisfied people. You know, one of the things that has always amazed me about the Apostle Paul in the Bible is that no matter what he went through, no matter what his circumstances were in life, the misunderstandings, the stoning, the prisons, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the enduring of whatever the thorn in his flesh was, he always maintained a heart of thankfulness. And so he said in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, rejoice always and pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice it said give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. You see, that's not what he's saying. You don't always give thanks for bad things. You don't give thanks for a car accident. You don't give thanks for illnesses or or give thanks for cancer or tough times or unemployment. But you do give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because you know that God's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Friends, there's always a lot we can complain about, right? If we choose to. That's why last week I gave you that encouragement that's gotten me in trouble all week. I told you guys to get used to saying it could be worse. Some of you did what I told you not to do. And on Monday morning, you woke up, rolled over and looked at your wife and said, it could be worse. And she called me. So I know. Someone once said some of the most frustrated people on earth are atheists that are grateful because they have no one to thank. But we do know who to thank. Even when we know that things could be worse, we know who to give our praise to. And James is saying, if you've got something or someone that you're grateful for, if something fills your heart with joy or happiness, then you sing songs of praise to God. We pray because we're in trouble. We pray because we're grateful. And then thirdly, we pray. And friends, this is huge because we need a place of complete honesty. We need a place of complete honesty. Look at James 5.16. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, one of the things that we value and hold highly as believers is the value of community. It's why small groups are so important to us and why I hope you've listened to and you've taken that challenge to take the next step and get involved in in one of the three home Bible studies on Wednesday or Thursday or in Peggy Myers' Thursday morning Bible study. It's because in those contexts, you get to have relationships with other human beings that you can develop friendships with. You can have fun with together. You can laugh. You can grow in your faith together. You can connect with others. And you could just be honest with them. You could take off your mask and say, you know what? This is me. This is really who I am. And we all need relationships where we can just be honest And say what's on our heart and soul. Something I think authentic and therapeutic even happens. When when you take that part of your life that was kind of covered in secrecy and in darkness. And you bring it out into the light of fellowship. Healing. It just starts to rush into your heart. There was a fellow minister once that had a woman come to him and did just that. She opened up her her life and just came clean about some things that were going on within her life. Some really dark stuff in her past. Some very painful uh, memories and painful stuff. And afterward, you know what she said? She said, I went home and I got on the bathroom scale because I felt so much lighter. She said, I I, I wasn't lighter, I just felt so much lighter. Because there's power in being honest. Power and healing in that. And sometimes sometimes we work so hard to cover up the things in our life that, that bother us, the things that truly hurt us or that they're burdens, and they're too embarrassing or too, we're too ashamed. And so we've learned that Christians speak. When somebody asks uh, how we're doing or we'll say something like, I have an unspoken prayer request. And you know what that means, don't you? It's code for I'm not okay. And I wouldn't tell you what's going on in my mind or heart in a million years. In fact, I don't think I'm ever going to tell anybody what's going on. So don't ask me again. But listen, friends, we all need a place of complete honesty. And you can always be completely honest with God. Now, I'm grateful. I have a wife and a few people that know me very well. But they don't know everything. You see, there are things that happen in the context of life at the church that I just don't carry home to Cheryl. There's stuff that I hear in counseling that some of you share with me, and I don't take it home and and share it with her and what's going on. But there's one person who knows everything about me. God. He sees everything down inside that I wrestle with, and he knows me inside out. He, He knows the blackest crevasses of my soul. He knows the darkest secrets, and I can go to Him and I can just be completely honest and say, God, this is who I really am. You ever been in a a worship service or at something that's kind of faith-oriented? And somebody gets up and they go on one of those prayer journeys without you. You know, they pray a prayer like, Oh, great Jehovah God, I have come sipping from the chalice of your unmerited justification through the designated propitiation of your redeeming Son. And the pilgrimage of my sanctification, I willingly submit to your providential and experiential deference of grace inherent to all your saints. And at the end of it, you're saying, huh? (laughs) What? I mean, what in the world are, are you saying? And you could pretty much summarize. They really weren't praying to God as much as they were trying to impress you with their vocabulary. That's why Jesus said prayer. It's not one of those street corner performances like the religious people do. He said in Matthew 6, 6, these words, but when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you alone. Just you and God. And this is one of those things, That Disney actually got right in the song that that was in Camp Rock, if those of you that actually saw that, uh, that said, God, you're the voice I hear inside my head. You're the reason that I'm singing. I need to find you. i got to find you. You're the missing piece I need. The song inside of me, I need to find you. This is real, God. This is me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Going to let your light shine on me. Because in you I found who I am. There's no way to hold it in. No more hiding who I want to be. This is me. Never thought you'd hear a Disney song quoted from the pulpit, did you? Well, King David said this in 1 Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity. So Psalm 139, 23, and 24, it, it, it challenges us this way in the message paraphrase. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. I want to be real with God. You know, I have found that that trying to keep stuff from God in the conversation I have with Him, trying to hide stuff from God or or fool Him and fake Him out, it's not only futile because He already knows, but it hinders my relationship with Him, and it short-circuits His blessing in the lives of people that I pray for. So even in this month of a missions focus, if you're praying for the work of eyes or or Butler Springs or Kosovo, and you're not being real with God, if you're not being honest with him, you can't expect your prayers for them to be heard until you deal with your relationship to God first. I pray because I need somebody that I can go to with that safety deposit box of my guilt and shame and just let him open it up and let him see what's in there. You see, when I was a kid, We used to sing a hymn, and some of you probably grew up singing this hymn too, that very simply says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Think about that. Everything. Our deepest wounds. Everything. My deepest secrets. Everything. Everything includes my doubts, my fears, my complaints, my worries. And I can be myself and take them to God in absolute confidence, knowing that he loves even the failure of a miserable human being like me. What a friend we have in Jesus. Why pray? Because we're in trouble. Why pray? Because we're grateful. Why pray? Because we all need a place of complete honesty. And make sure you remember this last one. Why pray? Because it's powerful and effective. See, James 5.16 continues and says this, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, Bill, that counts me out. (laughs) I am not a righteous person by any stretch. But you know, the only one who is righteous is the one who's made righteous by the righteous one, Jesus Christ. The prayer of a righteous person is the prayer of a man or woman who are made right by, through, and because of Jesus Christ. And that is powerful and effective. And then James goes on to give the illustration of someone who prayed powerful and effective prayers. And his name was Elijah. And it says in verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. I mean just a guy who prayed powerful and effective prayers. Now, Elijah's life, if you know anything about it, was a life filled with miraculous events. In one account, Elijah raised a widow's son from the dead. In another well-known event, he calls down fire from heaven to distinguish God from all these prophets and priestesses of Baal and Ashtoreth. On another occasion, God, he speaks to Elijah on a mountainside in a gentle whisper. And in one of the big kahuna of all miracles in the Bible, we're told that Elijah never died. But God sent a chariot of fire to pick him up and transport him to heaven. But out of all of those things, James focuses on the prayers of Elijah. The nation had gone astray and had been worshiping other gods. And so, to punish them and to get their attention, God withheld the rain at Elijah's prayer for three and a half years. And after he finally got their attention, Elijah prayed for rain and the rain started falling and the earth produced its crops. I mean, add all that together, you got a pretty impressive resume, don't you? And you might think, you know, wow. I mean, Elijah, he must be really something special to perform all those miracles. But friends, James is quick to point out that Elijah was a human being even as we are. When I read through scriptures of the acts of God in the Bible, I see the confidence of men like the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians 1.19, I know it's through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened for me, it will turn out for my deliverance. In Acts 12, 5, we're told Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And as the church is praying, God moves. It goes on to say, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound in chains with sentries placed at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. You see, when God's people pray, chains fall off. When God's people pray powerful and effective prayers, walls come down. Believers are delivered by the power of God. And I think when we hear the stories of God performing miracles like that in Scripture, we think, well, they're just special. They're exceptional people with an elite class of faith. And we conclude, that power is not available to me. But James says, no. No. Powerful prayer is available to all who follow and serve God, not just for the elite few. So friends, as we close this morning, if you're facing some kind of spiritual drought in your life and you just need the rain to start falling, I want to challenge you. Pray earnestly for the prayers of a righteous person made righteous by Jesus Christ are powerful and effective. It was several years ago, as he was conducting a worship service, that an evangelist had a sense that he should pray for someone in special need of healing. Among several people who who came forward at the end of the service uh, and received prayer was a man who was dying of cancer. Three weeks later, he received a phone call from the man's wife telling him that, that he had passed away. And he expected, here comes the frustration, Here comes the fury of this wife telling me that that prayer is neither powerful nor effective. But here's what she said. When my husband and I walked into that church on Sunday, he was angry with God. He had cancer and he knew he was going to be dead soon. And he hated God for letting it happen. He wanted to see his grandchildren grow up more than anything. At night he would lie in bed and he would curse God and it was horrible. Horrible. And the angrier he got towards God, the meaner he was to everyone around him, including me. She said it was unbearable to be in the same room with him. His nastiness, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. But she said, then you laid hands on him Sunday morning and you prayed for him. When he walked out of church, I knew something was different. I could feel it. He was a different person. The last three weeks of our lives together have been the best three weeks we've had together. We talked, we laughed, we sang hymns together with each other. It was a good, good time. And she paused and then added, He wasn't cured, but he was healed. What a profound insight. You see, cures for the body are temporary but healing of the mind and the heart and the soul is eternal. I don't have those kind of experiences every day in my life, but I have enough of them from time to time. And when I do, it makes me wonder, why don't I pray more? What am I missing out on? What could God do? Why don't we pray more? Jesus said in Mark eleven seventeen, 17, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Notice that phrase, a house of prayer. He doesn't say, my house will be a house of programs. Or my house will be a house of activities or clever ideas or a lot of other things that might be good. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And it's no wonder. Because friends, when we put ourselves in the stream, in the flow of God's amazing grace and power, amazing things happen. I don't know one person who at the end of their life has ever said, I wish I would not have devoted so much time in prayer to God. My house. You see, I think Jesus would say to us, my house must be called a house of prayer. Your house must The places where you live must be homes of prayer. This house, what the Bible says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our minds individually must be houses of prayer. And I think that's God's call to us. And whether we come to church, whether we carry our Bible, whether we're in a small group or we serve, sometimes the truth is, if the truth were known, many of us haven't spent five minutes in prayer this past week. But what would happen if in the coming weeks we spent five minutes a day in prayer or five more minutes in prayer before God or 10 or 15? What could God do in our lives? What could God do in the life of this church? What could God do in the lives of each uh, of the ministries and missionaries that we partner with? What could God do in our families? What could God do in our schools? What could God do in this nation if we would just spend more time ignited by prayer and unleashing God's power in our life? You know, uh, some days people will say to me, where do you go to church? Where is that? And, And I find out they drive past this place every day on their way to work and they don't even notice it's here. Is that how we want to be known? Or do we want to have people say, oh, wait, Springfield Church of Christ, that's that church. Or would you rather be known as, oh, that's the church that takes prayer seriously. That's the church where they get down on their knees and they pray to God for changes in lives in this community. That church, that's a praying church. Would you stay with me this morning? And let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is not truly about our reputation. We want to be known. I mean, be honest. We want to be known as a church of prayer. But more than that, we want to be known as your house. We want people to look and say that church, not only does it pray, that's a church where God lives. And God is active and God is at work and God is moving through the prayers and the lives and the service of those people. God, everything we are is because of you. Everything we have is because of you. And Lord, it's one thing to say that there are people in this world that need you. And people do need the Lord. And we have the command to share you with them. But Father, first, we just want to come to you as individuals and say, Jesus, we need you. Individually, we need you here as a congregation. And so for some in this fellowship this morning, it's time for the first time to say, I need Jesus to be part of my life as my Lord and Savior. I need to find out, actually, that he's all my life and not just a part of it. For some, it's a time to step forward and say, I want to be a member of a church that values community, that values prayer, that keeps the main person the main person and the main thing the main thing. Father, let this be a place where we pray, give, and go. And we do it all for your honor, for your glory, and for your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, if there's something you need to do in my heart, or in the heart of anyone here today, we give you permission and we invite you to do in Jesus' name.